creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Today on Culture Click, we return to the Nona Bar for another nerdtastic nerd night. And if you haven't heard of this nerdy event, Nerd Night is a monthly history channel with beer held at the Nona Bar, where three lucky Winonans present their passions proudly. So if you have a nerdy hobby or concerningly obsessed with topics till you're considered a nerd, Nerd Night is a place to be. I'm Dylan Azate, here to present you part two of Nerd Night 33, today on Culture Click. All right, everybody. Hope you got another drink and you're ready for another talk. We're inviting up to the stage Cody Lamarche, who's here to talk about infrared astronomy. Uh, he's a postdoctoral research associate and adjunct professor. I can't talk today. A professor at Winona State University, studying the early universe using infrared and radio light, and teaching introductory physics. When not doing astronomy-related things, Cody enjoys playing the piano and puzzling over variant Sudoku and making probably one of the best intro slides we have seen yet. So let's give oh. a round of applause to Cody. <laughs> and maybe some credit to the PowerPoint themes thing that kind of help, helps with that. <laughs> but so, but in, in any case, yeah. Uh, hi, folks. Uh, uh, thank you all for coming. I'm very excited to, to give a talk tonight on infrared astronomy piercing the dusty veils of the universe. So let's talk a bit about what do we mean by that. So if we're going to talk about infrared astronomy, we better talk about infrared light, see what that's all about. So our story starts with this guy. This guy is Sir William Herschel, first name Sir, second name William, third name Herschel. And he is going to figure into the story prominently. He is an astronomer. And all astronomer, well, at least all old-timey astronomers, certainly had a telescope. This was not his telescope, but, uh, you know, for, for a picture, this is, this is quite cool, right? And what did he do with his telescope? Some of you might know something that Sir William Herschel did with his telescope. He discovered Uranus, but he did something even more important. Oh, yes. Oh, he did. He looked at the sun. No, don't do this. Don't do this. He did this so you don't have to. He looked at the sun with his telescope, and he was studying sunspots, actually. And he discovered something interesting when he was looking at these sunspots with his telescope. You should not do this. You should not look at the sun with your telescope. But he discovered something interesting. And so what he did to not fully burn his eyes out was he put different colored filters in front of the, the light that was reaching his eye, you know, from, from the sun. And he found something interesting. And so... What appeared remarkable to him was that when he used some of these filters in different colors, he felt a sensation of heat, though he didn't see much light. And in other filters, he saw much light, but didn't feel much heat. Now let's take a second to think about that with his eyeball. Okay, he was, he was feeling the heat with his eyeball. Don't do this. But he did it so you don't have to. But this is kind of interesting because this gave him an idea, which was that when he put different filters on his telescope that put different colors of light to the telescope, they produced different amounts of heat. And this kind of puzzled him a little bit. And so, like any good physicist, he did an experiment. So, it had been known since the time of Newton or so, right, that if you took light and passed it through a prism, right, sunlight would give you the rainbow of colors. As I denote with the Rigi Biv or whatever the colors are. And so, if they felt different temperatures at different colors, he devised an experiment. So in his lab, he took a prism, he broke the light into its colors, 
he put one thermometer in the corner of the lab, right, where it wasn't hit with the light. And then he put a couple other thermometers in the light in the different colors. And then, like any good physicist, he made a plot. Oh, yes. My students love making plots. We make plots all the time. And this was his plot. Sir William Herschel, so the you, um, if you're wondering. But uh, he plotted the temperature as a function of color in his thermometers. And he found that as the light got more red, the temperature increased. This kind of puzzled him a little bit. And he said, okay, well, it's getting warmer as I go to the red. It's not just going to stop there, is it, right? You don't have a function go to a maximum at the red and then just die, right, when there's no more light. And so he did something crazy. He put a thermometer there. <laughs> there's no light there, right, or seemingly no light there. There's just dark, right? And he put a thermometer there, and what did it see? Well, it saw, oh, no, sorry. When it goes that way. It saw a great temperature, and he said, he said something. He said a lot of things. Um, but the gist of what he said, right, um, you know, this was around 1800, so, you know, the, maybe uh, being concise wasn't, anyway. But so he, he basically discovered that this invisible light carried with it a great heat, something like that. But that it was unfit for human vision. And so there was this light that carried energy, but he couldn't see it. We now know that light is an electromagnetic wave, right? I guess he didn't know that at the time, but, you know, we now know that. And we think of it as having a wavelength, right, which is like the distance between crests or troughs, right? And we know the infrared light is just a longer wavelength light than visible, right? So we have the blue, yellow, green, uh, oh, sorry, blue, green, yellow, red, infrared, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's backwards, not my screen to yours. But in any case, right, we have, we have all these colors, right? And infrared is just the longer side of that. So this is pretty cool. And you say, okay, Cody, but you're an astronomer. Why do you care about that? Stars give off visible light, right? You go outside and you look up at the sky and you see the stars. You don't see infrared light. You see visible light by, by definition, practically, right? Visible light. So it turns out that stars give off all kinds of light, but of different color. So you could have stars that are reddish color and they give off a lot of red. You have stars that are whitish like the sun, and they kind of give off all the colors. You can have bluish stars, right, which give off bluer light. You say, okay, but they give off visible light. And I say, yes, but. Let's take a look at this picture. If you can see this picture, there's a hole in the sky. <laughs> this picture is an, a visible light picture of something, of some, some bit of our galaxy, and there's a hole in the image. So what do we think? Are there just no stars there? There's just a hole where there's no stars. Something is getting in between us and the starlight. So if I look at that same patch of sky and I put the blue filter on my telescope and the green filter and the red filter and then I use Herschel's infrared and then further infrared, the stars in the background start to pop out. So infrared light, and right, this is like the, the title idea of the talk, right? infrared light pierces through the interstellar dust and gas, right? The, the dusty veils of the universe. And so it's critical that we look at the universe not only in visible light, but in infrared light. I have a demo for you. Let's see if this works. Uh, you might, uh, whoever it does the sound, you might want to just mute me for a second because I'm going to put on my infrared shirt here. If I could have uh, the, the infrared camera fired up, please. Well, uh, I used to do demos with, with kids with this demo. And we, 
we we would just put it right over the top because they fit in the bag. It was it was great fun. But only when a scientist is around and you don't you don't ever pull it. Right, yeah. But in any case, the the parents did that look. The second part of that demo was I got out a blowtorch. But um, in any case, so so if we can if we can pass around the infrared camera, I've now put on my infrared shirt, right where you can't see any visible light of me, but you might see that the infrared light is passing through. So this was a picture uh, right, of me taking an... Okay, this is the problem. Okay, picture of me taking, taking in the office earlier today that you can see me through the, the, in, uh, the visible light blocking shirt. And so just like visible light can get blocked in galaxies, right? Um, it's the same, same idea, right? So infrared light can get through. This is quite exciting. Okay. Oh, I won't take it off. Yeah, I'm just, I'll continue with the talk, but I'll leave my, uh, my infrared shirt on, and I'll use the pointer strategically. Okay. Does anybody know what this is? Orion. Okay, you knew that faster than I did. Not a very good astronomer. This is what his head and shoulders and his belt and, and whatnot. This is invisible light, but we can also look at this in infrared light. Looks like that. Look at the amount of light from star formation that's coming from these star-forming regions that we can't see in the visible light. And this region here is the star-forming region that you see in the optical, right, in the visible part of the spectrum. <laughs> in any case, we continue. So there's a star-forming region here, which you can see clearly in the infrared because that light that's blocked by the dust and the gas escapes in the infrared. It's very exciting. But we don't only see this with constellations in our own galaxy. We can see this with entire galaxies too. So this image here is a Hubble Space Telescope image taken in the visible part of the spectrum, right? This is like red, blue, green, whatever. Next is coming the JWST image. Pick your favorite galaxy on the screen and stare at it. Ready? One, two, three. Look at the stuff that has popped out now. Okay, all of these red things that you're seeing, this is a false color image, by the way. You couldn't see the infrared, right? False color. So the reddish is like infrared. Look at all these things that popped out. I'll show a bit of a, a, bit of a zoom for you, and it's, oh, it's a little hard with the, the lights here, but all of these circles here are galaxies that in the visible image you really can't see, but same place in the infrared image, they pop right out because there are stars forming behind dust and gas where that visible light from the stars can't really escape and, and get to you. So it's really critical that if we want to learn about star formation in galaxies, we have to learn about with the light we can see and the infrared light, which well, Herschel discovered, right? And indeed, if we look at this plot, Carl showed a version of this plot, which shows the amount of star formation that's going on in the universe as a function of time, right? Here's the present, here's the distant past. As we go along, right, we see the star formation peaked at about 7 billion years ago, like Carl said. But look at the obscured version of the star formation. This is the star formation we see only because we use the infrared. It's more of the light that it's obscured than unobscured at the peak of the star formation. And indeed, something like half of all the star formation in the whole of the cosmic history has been blocked right by dust, and we see it only in the infrared. We don't actually see it in the optical at all. This is the power of the infrared, right? It's not just that we can build a bigger telescope, 
but looking at a different part of the spectrum is really powerful. So this is actually what I do. So I study the obscure star formation in mostly the early universe, but also in, uh, in the modern day universe. And so we get some cool pictures like this. So this is a, a bit of a story, but there's a background galaxy which I'm looking at, which is forming stars, and that's blocked by the dust again, and so it's emitting light in the infrared. But there's a foreground galaxy which is actually taking that light and bending it into a ring. And so we're actually seeing, it's, it's called an Einstein ring, if you know if you've heard of that. But it's basically taking the light and it's bending it around a galaxy that's between me and the faraway galaxy, and it's like kind of pointing it towards the Earth, right? Bending it in like a lens would, if you put a lens in front of a light bulb. Right? It would bend the light in the same way that um, uh, gravity can actually do that. So quite cool. But not only in the early universe, you can actually do this in the nearby universe. So this is M101. It's um, one of the nearby, well, to me nearby, or it's not half the age of the universe away, uh, face-on spirals. This is ballpark something like what the Milky Way would look like. And when we look at it in infrared, right, we can see star formation, which is blocked a bit by dust. And so you're seeing an optical image here and a zoom in here in infrared. So we're seeing stars that are forming near, near dust in this area. And this actually was observed with the Herschel Space Telescope named in honor of first name Sir, second name William, third name Herschel. <laughs> but there's a price to pay. We have these pretty images and we need the infrared, but the atmosphere sucks, like Carl said. The atmosphere's not good. We don't like it. Boo. Boo. So right, that's what this plot is showing is light that doesn't reach the ground, light that reaches the ground, right? Visible light, radio light reaches the ground. Infrared doesn't. It's blocked by the atmosphere. So what are we going to do? We're going to go to space. We've got to get up above the atmosphere. And so indeed, we, we go to space. But I want to do just a really quick thing, because I taught intraastro for a couple of years, and there was one common misconception right, that I, I want to address. We don't go into space for some reason, but we do go into space to get over the atmosphere. So let's take an example. Our nearest major galaxy is Andromeda. It's about two and a half million light years away. JWST is a million miles from the Earth, very far, right? A million miles. And my question for y'all, what fraction of the distance to the nearest galaxy, my students would love this. I don't know if any of them are in the back. I can't see in the dark, but right? If the, what fraction of the distance from Winona to Boston, about 1,300 miles, is that one million miles in fraction to the nearest galaxy? What proportion are we going to the nearest galaxy? Couple miles, lacrosse, yeah, a couple miles. Couple, couple inches, one meter. A millimeter. Something like four millionths of an inch. If you like metric, I think that's about six microns, something, something like that. The thickness of my high-quality shirt here, so, something like that, is thicker than, than that thickness. So we don't go into space to get closer to the stars. We go into space to get over the atmosphere. We don't like the atmosphere. Okay, so we've recently put something into space, which is quite exciting, right? I've already shown you some of the pictures. The James Webb Space Telescope, or the, the JWST, you'll often see it abbreviated. Its primary mirror is something like six and a half meters across, 21 feet and a bit, something like that. It observes in the red part of the visible spectrum out into the infrared. So if you remember like our Herschel picture, like reddish bit, and the invisible rays that carry heat, like it, yeah, it looks at those. 
and it looks at galaxies, um, solar system planets, exoplanets, right? It looks at a bunch of things. And sometimes you see a number and you say, oh, well, six and a half meters, like how big is that? Tennis court for scale, right? It's about that big. It sees really, really faint things, okay? Really, really faint things. Another question for you. These are always fun. Participation by the audience. So you can see faint galaxies. Imagine now, so we got rid of the, the, what is it, the illegal incandescent bulbs or the 100 watts or whatever. The new version is 10 watts. Still in my mind, it's a 100 watt light bulb, but you're 10 watts. And my question is for you, how far away could JWST see this light bulb if I put it in dark space? WSU campus, maybe a mile away? Minneapolis, 100 miles, something like that? And New York City, 1,200 miles? Farther. The moon, a quarter of a million miles? Good Lord, farther. Farther, 5 million miles. 20 times the distance to the moon. That's what $10 billion gets you. I mean, this is the power to see a light bulb at an ungodly distance. But, but not only that, right? These faint galaxies, and okay, the ones that are faint enough that the light's kind of washing out, but you can imagine, right? There are little blobs and stuff like that here. That's the, the faint stuff that we want JWST for, right? A big telescope in space looking at these invisible rays that we need to map star formation. Because remember, half of, the or half of the star formation is hidden behind this dust. So now I just want to go through a couple of pictures just to show you because they're, they're pretty awesome. So this is a star forming region in the Carina Nebula. Quite cool. Hubble. 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 So remember, Hubble is the optical telescope. It's like my age, and, it's, uh, and it works in the optical. Still, still works, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and so we see this picture, but now I'm gonna change to the JWST picture. So pick your favorite image, or part of the image to look at, and on three, one, two, three. Look at what's happened. And what I want you to pay close attention to, look at the stars kind of on the edge of, this is all the dust and gas and stuff. Look at the stars on the edge, and I'll flip back. Gone. Right, you see the, the dust, it just blocks them, yeah. right? So, so really, this infrared gives us the ability to see things the optical doesn't see. That's really the power. It's not just build a bigger telescope. It's really we're changing the light we're looking at. Really, really quite important. Another couple of pictures, right? We'll look at some more uh, star forming regions in visible light and in infrared. And again, we're just, we're taking this dust and gas and we're just seeing right through it. We're seeing that star formation that's buried under the, the gas and dust. Similarly, we can look at um, big uh, galaxies as a whole, right? And we can see the same, same sort of thing, right? Where the theme is, right, we're seeing dust and gas and stuff, which in the infrared, we can just see right through it. And this is super cool for somebody like me who studies star formation, because I want to see the star formation. If I can't see it, how do I know it's there, right? So, yeah, okay, cool. So, I'll, let me put up my, my summary. But I think you know my summary, because it's like one big point is that infrared light penetrates through gas and dust, where optical light doesn't. And half of all the star formation in the history of the universe has been blocked by dust and gas and stuff. And so we really need this infrared light, and JWST and other telescopes like it, which can see this, this infrared light. I'll leave you with a nice picture from JWST, and I'll take any questions you have. Thank you very much. So, real quick, I'll just grab your name and what, you, and what you're doing here for Nerd Night. Hi, I'm Cody LaMarche. I'm a postdoc at Winona State University, and I was giving a talk at Nerd Night on infrared astronomy. 
Awesome. Is this your first nerd night? It's the first talk I've ever given. I've attended several nerd nights, but first nerd night talk I ever give. Yep. Awesome. Well, how well how'd you feel after doing your first performing your first nerd night? It was a lot of fun. I mean, one one of the more more you know kind of fun, spontaneous, interesting talks I've given. So I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, if someone were to like, were thinking of going to do a nerd night, but they were maybe lacking in motivation, or they were possibly pretty shy, what would you say? What would be your best advice? So my best advice for Nerd Night is pick a subject that you're passionate about and just go for it. I mean, put some slides together, pick something you really care about, something that you nerd out about, right? That's, that's the idea. And just, just run with it. The crowd is super friendly and it's, it's a great audience to give a talk for. Awesome. Uh, is, there any, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we quick wrap this up? I mean, it was, it was a great time and I certainly look forward to seeing the, the rest of the Nerd Night talks for the night. And certainly looking forward to hopefully someday giving another. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Cody. Thank you. All right, do we have questions for Cody? Yeah, got Paul up here. So the answer to this question may require more beer. Um, Have whiskey. Does that count? uh, uh, Yeah. Um, So why is this important? Why is this important? So So really, the thing about infrared... Right, the, and the, really the idea for the infrared is, that it is exactly this, right? It allows us to see a star that we wouldn't, we wouldn't otherwise see. So if we go back to, oh boy, how, uh, yeah. If we go back to this plot, basically our, how do you want to say, like our knowledge of the history of the universe would change significantly if all of the orange star formation that we knew about was just gone, right? Because this... The, the stars that are formed behind us, right, give off this infrared light, and we wouldn't know anything about it at all, right? We'd only know about the, the optical light from, from visible stars, and it would paint a very different picture of the history of the universe. So really, this is quite important. And it turns out, and I haven't had the chance to talk a lot about this, but when stars, are, or when galaxies are really strongly star-forming, they also tend to be quite, uh, quite dusty. And so indeed, it allows us not only to see, on average, half, but really in almost all cases where the galaxies form stars very strongly. And so we learn about the massive star-forming galaxies, but also something like half of star-forming. It's, it's really quite important. Now one question way back here. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. If our atmosphere absorbs the infrared light, yes. I'm wondering, does it also absorb the heat associated with it? And if so, what is the impact? Yes. That, that's a great question. So infrared light does indeed carry energy, right? Uh, Herschel found that when he looked with his eyeball, right, that indeed it did heat up to, I don't remember what he said, some great degree or something like that. Yeah, and so, so indeed, right, it, and it does. And I mean, this is one of the ideas behind like the, the, the greenhouse effect, for example, right? That you have the trapping of infrared light by gas. It's really the same kind of idea, right? Water is a great greenhouse gas because it absorbs that infrared light. In the same way, it stops it from coming down from space doesn't really like it to escape either, right? It's just kind of like a shield or a barrier. And so, indeed, it's, it's quite important in, in terms of holding on to heat. Yeah. Not sure if this is a question, comment, or just curiosity, but why is your x-axis, same as Carl's, opposite what I would think of as intuitive? You'd think... Yes, okay. <laughs> yes, okay. So... As, as a chemist, I appreciate this question. No, this is... This, so, so, so this is, this is a fantastic question, right? And so, so this has been a little bit, a little bit flipped. And so, so what, what happens is normally astronomers don't think of time exactly. What we really think about is 
as the universe expands and stretches, something happens called redshift, right? Where the light stretches towards longer wavelength. And so galaxies which are near us have zero redshift because the space between us and the galaxy isn't really big enough to see an appreciable effect of the stretching. And so actually, in my mind, this is zero, but it's not time equals zero, it's zero redshift. And as you go on to the more distant past, there's more space between us and those galaxies, which is expanding. And so it's increasing that redshift. It's stretching that light towards the red. And so it's higher redshift. So what I've done is I hid the, ridge, uh, the redshift axis because I thought it would be confusing. And I changed it to time, which is backwards. You don't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. Right? There was... Astronomers do things, they do some things backwards. There, there are the several whole wave numbers thing, too. It's all nonsense. Oh, I try, right. to, I try to dodge the wave numbers. Wait, I try right. to dodge. We got Jen up here, too. Uh-oh. I know. Okay, so before I ask my question, you have to say something nice about Hubble. Hubble? I will say something nice about Hubble. So, so the nice thing about Hubble, right, is... Sir Edwin Hubble. Sure. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, so, so, so Hubble. No. So, I think the most impressive thing about Hubble is really its. Well, okay. So, impact on some things that it's done in terms of like measuring quasars and like the expansion of the universe. Right. Hubble was tremendous in that. But it's also its longevity. Right. So many people have used Hubble. Right. It's been in space since the year I was born, or give or take thirty some odd years. So. Okay. It's been thirty-ish years, no matter how that relates to anyone's age. Uh, so, so um, you know, and, and but JWST won't be, right? JWST needs, actually the thing that will probably run out of before it runs out of coolant is actually uh, rocket fuel. So it orbits not around the Earth, but it orbits right the, the L2 Lagrange point. So it like goes around the sun, but it takes some rocket fuel to adjust it to orbit every once in a while. And eventually it's not going to have any more. But... They did a great job when they shot it out to wherever they shot it out to. That they, they aimed really well. And so the amount of fuel that they burned to get it out there was actually less than they expected. And so the mission lifetime actually is higher than the minimum quoted value that they quoted. So, so it's really quite exciting. But it probably still won't last 30 years. So how will its longevity? Yeah. All right. Do we have any more questions? Jen wants one more, if you don't. Ah, we got one up here. Sorry, he beat you. And this will be the last question, and then we'll take a break. Okay, so this is not really related to the research exactly, but did, did, uh, did uh, what's his name, burn out his eyeballs, uh, Herschel burn out his eyeballs doing this research? Or, it's, or? It's a good, so, I, so that's a good question. I don't think he fully did, at least not that I know of, but I will say he discovered Uranus first. And, and that was probably important because I will say, like, I've looked through a decent-sized telescope, but Uranus, maybe like a two-foot or something, I can't see a damn thing. So, so like, oh, I'm blind to that. Like, I, I, couldn't, I could not see it. And so, like, I couldn't imagine looking at the sun for many years and studying sunspots and, and trying to look at a faint thing. So, so I think the chronology is important. Yes. Yes. It is really bright in the infrared. And actually, it can be used as a calibrator for the, okay. But um, in, in any case, it gives off a lot of infrared light due to its temperature. Um, which, is, which is quite cool. But I, I don't know if he ever burned out his eyes. He does have two eyes. That's, that's fair. <laughs> the one that discovered Uranus and the one that... <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's, let's have one more round of applause for Cody. Thanks. Thank you very much. We're going to take another short break, get another drink, and we'll be right back with our last talk. Thanks again to the No Name Bar and the hosts of Nerd Night for making this whole event possible. Be sure to tune in next week for a part three continuation of this House of Nerdvana. To check out more of this nerdtastic event, check out their Facebook at Nerd Night Winona 
or winona.nerdnight.com. Otherwise, check out to see if there's a Nerd Night near you at nerdnight.com. That's N-E-R-D-N-I-T-E dot com. I'm Del Nazate, and to keep up with all things Winona or the surrounding area, tune in to Culture Click Thursdays at 1230 here on 89.5 KQAL. Or listen to previous episodes of Culture Click on your favorite streaming services. Find links at kqal.org. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. Culture Click.